Hello and welcome to another Not Chilly podcast. Here we are again, but this time with one of my favorite films of all time, uh, which has been Slightly Sullied, which we talk about in uh, probably too much length. Uh, This is American Beauty, and I'm sitting down with Josh Lumberg again, and we kind of... Oh man, we go everywhere. I mean, there's so much I can talk about this film. I could do a part two, I could do a part three... That's how much there is to say about it. But I feel like we kind of... We cover the characters quite in depth in this particular podcast. And um, we kind of cover, like, directing and we kind of cover... We actually cover, like, would uh, Lester and Karen actually be able to stay together in a relationship? And we kind of have a little bit of a thing about that. And... uh, yeah, it just kind of dives into a lot of it. I, I just, yeah, I really enjoyed this podcast. And I hope you guys do as well. Um, feel free to mention anything that, that we might have missed or whatever. It's just, I think it's a cool film, American Beauty. And um, yeah, it obviously means a lot to me. So yeah, I hope you enjoy and um, have a good one. As I said to you the other day, like, and... and and I'll try and do this as much as possible because a few a few of my thoughts, and I intentionally didn't. Mm. Wow, that's like totally tangential. Like sentences are just like spinning off each other. But um, I intentionally didn't revisit the um, lessons from the screenplay thing because I didn't want it to affect anymore. But this, oh, yes. this thing I think is from that is from that video uh, from lessons from the screenplay. If you haven't watched that YouTube channel, um, like sign up to it, ring the bell as they say on YouTube these days. Ring Sign up, subscribe, like, what is it? Like, subscribe, subscribe, and ring the bell. And follow me on all the social media. Yeah, follow me on Twitter, um, you know, at superawesomeyoutuber.com. Yeah. That's yeah. not how. Uh, it probably YouTube. is someone called superyoutuber.com. Yeah, don't. Don't follow um, them, they're assholes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he was saying, like, Alan, uh, no, uh, Sam Mendes, like, they made the film and they were just kind of like, what film are we making here? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure was what he talks about in that. And he was, yeah, it was Sam Mendes and the editor whose name I don't know. Um, I can look that up while you talk. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, uh, well, they, bit of an assumption, but, uh, uh, Sam Mendes and the editor, they, uh, Oh my god, what a name that I didn't quite get. Tarki Anwar and Christopher Greenberry edited this. That is fairly different names. Yes. Um <laughs> between the two of them. Uh yeah, so I think Well do you are you saying that they filmed it all like to script and then they Oh yeah, got yeah. To the cutting room. Yeah, yeah. Like, they they shot the whole all that extra stuff. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's right. You told me about that. With the yeah, thing. they did. Just to start us off here, we are talking about the American Beauty. Yep. Um, we just watched it. Uh, I'm a super duper old school fan of it. I, that was a kind of a turning point in my life. That movie. Uh, Josh has a different feeling on it. What's your feelings on that film, Josh? I like it now. I hate. I hated it. In my life, I used to have two films that I hate. Yeah. It was American Beauty and Blade Runner. Yeah, no, right. Uh, and I don't mean like. No, I know you don't hate the, them. As in, like everyone who likes them hate should shouldn't like them. Yeah, but I but I mean like they they evoked the emotional response of hatred from me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, so I don't just mean like oh they're shit. I don't like them. Like, 
you know, I, I uh, the original Blade Runner makes me feel like deeply, deeply, deeply uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and I hate, I hate the experience of watching that film. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, this wasn't uncomfortability when I watched it the first time. Um, I don't actually remember how old I was the first time I watched it. I would put the bracket between the ages of like when did it come out ninety eight. I, uh, I'm pretty sure it's 99. 99, yeah. It was 99. Oh, let me just double check. It was 99. The, um, uh, cause, uh, sp- uh, yeah. The Matrix came out then as well. And it was a lot of, it was quite a turning point for film. Yeah. yeah I definitely didn't, I didn't see it at the cinema or anything like that. But, um, uh, I think I must have been like 16 or something. So 16 to 19, let's say, in that window. And to me, it came across as like, oh, this is trying to be as controversial as possible. Like yeah, it, right. it felt really try hard and, mm-hmm. um, I really hated that. So yeah, I just filed it under bullshit and then uh, didn't I, watch it until like 18 months ago. I remember, I think the very first time I'd watched it and I was hanging with that friend of mine, uh, Adrian. And I think there was, this was like a high school girlfriend I had at the time. It was Adrian. either... No, I <laughs> know uh, there's this other lady, which I, I, I'm not sure if we actually were going out or if we were just hanging out, but we're at her place and that's when we popped it on. And that was like, like, yeah. then, then that's when like, it just shook me. I was just like, I was so, but the thing is, I knew that when I first watched it, it was, were you paying attention? Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean that to joke. It's like, I remember, um, the first time I ever saw Fellowship the Ring, I saw it on a date with this girl that I was going out with uh, and that's like year nine right so like you're stupid dumb yeah kissy makey out kids right but it was like dude shut up no no that's I had that <laughs> experience like... <laughs> Laura and I went to see I'm pretty sure it was Taken in yeah. the movies and, and you're like and quiet like, now Laura I wanted like you know not, I know this movie and then was, at some point of the film I was like I oh, know I'm watching this this yeah. is actually amazing because uh, I, I thought Taken would be this like <laughs> Meh, and then you turn know. around like then you turn like 23 or something or whatever age it is yeah. and you're kind of like do you know how much it costs to go to the cinema and I'm going to cinema to enjoy things yeah yeah like yeah. we can kiss anywhere yeah that's right um, but no that's I meant that seriously like were you absorbed by this film the first time you watch it well yeah so I think I had it? that experience right. and I was that I, it kind of but but I will say that when I watched that film the first time um I certainly understood it a lot more uh, superficially. Yeah, I that type of satire mm. and that that type of humor and that type of um, intricate st- structure of drama would have absolutely gone over my head. And it did. And uh, for me, when I was a kid, the way it worked was well, a kid. I was probably like 15, 16 or whatever I was. I I saw it as what you would, how you would pitch it. It's about a dude and he, it's a coming of age for him. And he has a kind of awakening right before he gets killed. Of course, spoilers. Like that was a long time ago. If you don't know the spoiler at the end of that film. He says it at the beginning of the film. Doesn't matter. Anyway, point being is that like for me, that's how I saw it to begin with. Uh, but it something about it reeled me in and I kept watching it. And whenever I kept watching it, I kept seeing layers and layers. And then I kept, it kind of brought on the whole concept for me about like, which is the tagline of the film, which is like, look, look it closer. And then it, cause it, it inspired that attitude in me when yeah. I was a kid. 
Um, but I mean, I can obviously go into a lot of like for for people who don't know, that's where the kind of tattoo comes from that I have on my arm. I was going to say no one like. No one obviously can see it, but to be honest, everyone who's listening probably knows that I have that tattoo because um, I don't, there's like, you know, 10 people listening. So, uh, and it's not, not like, it's not just about the film. Like, there's a lot of layers to this tattoo that go beyond that. You know, my, my amazing girlfriend and... Hundreds of know, layers of skin. Yeah, hundreds of layers of skin. Um, she's the one that kind of inspired me to get it. I always wanted to get perspective written on my arm, but it never quite clicked. And then she gave she gave me this, like, amazing... Uh, like sticker that's in a frame that's the tagline for the American Beauty film and that just like oh my god that's the tattoo I've been wanting to get on my arm for like 10 years uh, and like I love the sense of curiosity and inspires people and stuff like that but it all did I will say that it all kind of rounds into that film because that film was a bit of an awakening for me so and the more I watch it even when I watch it now I still see subtle details and I'm still spellbound by it um but, you know, let's go, I don't want to, if we go by the way I want to talk about this, we're just going to go into this kind of mess and it's just going to be like, like this and that, oh, and this and there's that part of the thing, let's go over it. I feel like we need to like control Piot okay. in this circumstance. So what are we going to... I think, let's talk about what the film, like the, like the film structure as plot structure and then let's go into character. Because to me, the most important part of this film is the kind of the characters in it and how they relate and how they work and all those little scene details that happen like their kind of arcs and um but the structure in itself is uh, i think super important because if you were to ask me when i was 15 or whatever when i first watched this film what the structure was i'd have a very different answer than i have now so i think that's kind of like and for the people who have only watched it once who only see the film as superficial and creepy because it is you know, objectively speaking, it's creepy. Uh, for the people who have only been in that, are only in that position, um, it's, uh, this is an opportunity to have a reawakening about the film because, you know, like you and yourself, like, you know, you, you, you watched it, obviously, you, you know, you've appreciated before we watched it and sat down here, but you did have your own version of that where you're like, oh, wow, this is something, something is actually like, it's, you know, there's a deeper connection. And in my own way, I kind of want to know more about your transition than I do about mine. That's actually really interesting to me. But let's talk, let's talk about like kind of the structure of the film, right? So we, at the beginning of the film, we talk about, it talks straight about the end, right? Yeah. It's, and that's, so we know the premise from the, the, the get-go. To me, that's kind of a really important moment because it puts us in that position of, um, as an audience member, to not be, um, it's not about the shock, this film isn't about shock. It's about like an experience and it's about, it's, it's, if someone tells you the butt end of a joke and they say, that's, that's the, you know, the, the catch at the end of the joke. Great. And then they start the joke from the beginning. Then they're not trying to get you to laugh at that moment. They're trying to get you to understand something in the middle. Hmm. And so that's, I, that's one of the reasons why I love that moment. Obviously we, we, you know, you have that other moment that's technically not that because the moment I'm talking about is not the beginning of the film. It's the second part of the film. The first moment is the videotape, yeah. which leads us into that whole who, who done it, who, who killed it, but it doesn't anymore. You watch that moment and you go, yeah, watch it. I have to say watching, uh, this isn't like watching that again, that felt unnecessary to me. It's unnecessary. No, I, okay. Yes. Uh, to you, it totally. I can totally get it. I'm not saying that you didn't see something I didn't see, but what makes it necessary? No, oh, not necessary, but really, um, 
really grounding is that for me, by the time you get to that point of the film where it happens again, we've I've kind of forgotten about the fact that Lester Burnham's going to be dead at the end of the film. And then suddenly at the middle of the film, we're reminded, remember that he's going to be dead soon? Hey guys, remember that moment? This is this is that moment that you saw at the beginning and then you, you're back on track. And that's kind of what I feel like that moment is. It's that, it's that ability to kind of checkpoint and, and re-remind the audience don't don't you know don't get yeah but he's it's the first thing he says that's the only reason why it feels like just sort of like would you uh that that movement it does feel like unnecessary to me okay. like i don't feel like they need that videotape bit because it's it 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 piques interest and it makes you go "Ooh, what's this film about but it tells so much that first mm, moment to, to to me it's lying a little bit to the audience about the experience they're about to have. Okay, yeah. That's that's how I feel about that particular bit. Mm -hmm. So it goes from that and then it's like, oh, I'm going to tell you about how I died. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all fine. But to me, that's like kind of the... It's kind of like a repeat beat or... Um, to, to me, that opening with the videotape feels more connected to that, to the script than the mm -hmm. film. I, I get what you're, I get what you're saying. It kind of, it adds intrigue in a particular direction. Yeah. If you saw that video, mm. right. And it's the original script, which, um, for those who don't know the, uh, it's structured quite differently and, um, uh, uh Lester, Kevin Spacey's character, is killed, but you don't know who did it. And then there's like a whole thing with the um with the court case and the kids mm. get sent to prison. Yep. Uh and then I think at the end they so those shot those ceiling shots or sorry, those dolly um tracking shots, I think they I think they're at the end where it's like, but this is what really happened. Yeah. Um I think that's what it is. Um but in any case, like it goes into a whodunit kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. That's the original. So that that to me is what that connects to. It's like that feels more part of that film than it does the the actual film that is. Yeah, I agree. I, I understand where you're coming from, and I will stress that I'm like I, I'm probably thirty watches of this movie in. So to me, that helps. That I love that moment because it resonates a whole like an attitude that happens right at the beginning of the film, which you're right, could be kind of told in the actions that happen anyway, but it kind of like really shows the level of like disconnection between family, between the daughter and Lester, um, Jane and Lester. Uh, no, no, but that scene does that without it being at the start of the film. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. So that's kind of why I can see your point. I still really Cause love it, cause, that. Because at the start of the film, I sort of feel like, you can almost start it with, my the, name is Lester the, Burnham. The film basically goes, at some point, you're going to see this character express this thought. And then it shows American Beauty. And then it comes up with, I'm going to tell you about the day that I died. And you're like, okay. So I know that that girl says that. And then I know that he dies. And I'm sure that the first time a lot of people watched it, they went, oh, so did she kill him? Mm. And it's like, but that's not what the film is anymore. Yeah. yeah. There is no who did it. No, I... I, I, I um, yeah. Anyway. But like, once once it really gets going, yeah. like once the film actually gets going, it's like the brilliance of the whole idea of the superficial. What's on top? What's 
shown to the world and the fact that the film is basically the process of like stripping back the layers of paint um, mm. until, you know, you're at the bare metal. Yeah, that's right. Because we have like, we start with that first moment with um, Lester Boone saying that uh, that he's going to be dead. And then we we slowly, we slowly start to uncover the arcs of all, all the characters, the, mm. the kind of the main personality traits, the way that exists. One of the kind of staple moments that I, that I love in the film it's probably on the top, like, you know, like if we're going into like favorite part moments in the film is the moment when they're all walking to the car, it like separately. Yeah. And the, and the mum, Car- uh, Carolyn, uh, she's. Annette Benning. Yeah. Annette Benning. She's just like commenting on, on, on both of them as they get there. And it's just kind of like, you feel the routine, you feel the, the fact that the mum has this scrutiny on them and, and there's this like, it's, it, it's. It's so easy when I first started watching this film to see her as this villain and see her as this like, oh, what a what a terrible person. And the more and more I've watched it, the more I've realized how rounded that character is, which is where we get into... Uh, well, so we obviously go from there, the kind of beating of, of each person and then Lester just showing, you know, how not in control of his life he is by the opening of his briefcase. And then his reactions, his kind of like existence and work and what work means to him and how that's kind of falling to pieces in its own self. But I'm pretty sure after that moment, we have that, that amazing scene where, that, where, that, where, where um, Carolyn is fixing up the house. Yeah. And that, I mean, that for me is a pause moment because I love, that's probably my, one of my favorite kind of, well, it's in the top of my favorite scenes in the whole film because it explains her so well and explains kind of the whole process so well. It does. One of my favorite things about that scene is that a lot of the time when you craft a character like that, they can drop the facade on a personal level. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's so interesting, like... She almost does in that scene, in that whole montage. There's that right at the end. Uh, but but no, but what I, I, I don't mean in that scene. What I mean is that she, the thing that's interesting about her character is that aside from her sarcastic snipes, um, like at dinner and stuff like that, it's like even there she's behaving the same way. Mm. She's holding it just together so that everything's going to be fine because everything's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, you shouldn't have to do that at home. No, no. Like... Everyone needs to do that at work. Mm. Like that's that's part of life. But um, home, you need to relax. Yeah, home is where you're supposed to like unfold. And it's like she has no intimacy with her husband. She can't even have a rational like conversation about any of that type of you know intimate stuff. And mm. uh, she has she not that. Not that she's like the only one in this situation, but like no. she's totally dishonest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in cool. in a sad way, not in a malicious way. No, um, she's in denial and she's shut down, and she's, uh, you know, I think it's why she has an affair later and all that kind of stuff. So she doesn't feel like a woman anymore. She doesn't feel like a person. She doesn't feel alive. You know, that comp follows on from um, you know Lester's line. You know, when he's caught jerking it in bed. Yeah. Um, uh, when he says like, well, forgive me if I, you know, I'm the only one in this house that has a pulse. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever he says. Blood pumping. Through yeah. Blood pumping through my veins. And it's like, 
I'm alive and I'm warm blooded and I have needs and wants and you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's what he's saying. And it's like, like, so does she, <laughs> which yeah. is what she says, but it's still that sort of thing of like, there's just nothingness happening. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, she's a really, really, really well-crafted character and she's really angry and she's really sad and she's really lost. Um, and she I think she despises who she is as well. Oh, she does. Um, And I can tell you like three moments in the film where she shows that. I think that the couch moment is one of my favorites. Yeah. Like when Lester's kissing her neck and stuff and she's getting into it and then she sees that his beer is like slightly like on an angle and she's like, Lester, you're going to spill beer on the couch. And even she has a pause there. She's like, why did I say say that? His first awakening is is at work. I don't know if it is. Yeah. I don't know. Like where he cracks. When he has that, oh, you're right. But uh, I don't know if that's an awakening. No, it isn't. No, it's not an awakening. It is straight after that moment with the with the dancing thing. He's in bed. And that's when he has his first kind of like... Because you remember that the... the, the, the let's, let's just be frank here. The, the little girl that he uh, fantasizes over is is the first point in the film where he go where he actually says like... I'm wow. I've I've been numb, and I'm now having my first moment of an epiphany. And he has that kind of, like, she is actually. Yeah, no, I, I I agree that that's like that, that. That's the sort of inciting incident, I suppose, in the film. Like that's the moment at which the film begins. Yeah. But I do think that when he has the meeting with Brad, there's I think there's something in that. There, there is. That's his first kind of. That's when he he starts to snap. Because yeah. before then, he was still well, playing he along. He doesn't snap. No, yeah, that's right. He's, it was... And to be fair, I don't think he... Uh, yeah. he, he doesn't fully break. He just kind of loses his nerve. Because he starts to... You know, like, uh, the way I describe this kind of feeling is that if you were to be... If you were to be numb for a while and suddenly something happens in your life and you go, Wait, what the fuck? What am I doing? Like, what? this is bullshit. And that's kind of that moment. And it, and up until that point, he never has that moment. He's still just kind of, I'm in my motion. Yeah, yeah. he says, I feel thing. like I've been in a coma for the last 20 years and I just woke up. That And that's the line he says. Yeah, when he's in bed. Yeah, that's right. And that's when he, so that's why I say that that's kind of his awakening and his epiphany. Uh, it's definitely an epiphany. Yeah. But, but, it, I, but what I'm saying is I, I think that the Brad scene is the crack that allows basically like, uh, if he was a rock, it's like that to me is the crack that allows the water to flush out and turn into a ravine kind of thing. Yeah, no, I totally see it. I totally see it. And the and the one thing to say about this film is that it's very few things are wasted. So you could almost go scene by scene and say, well, this is that moment when this happens and this is that moment when this happens. And, and it would be kind of, we would be here for six or seven hours doing that. So. It's, it's also like because it's been cut, not as intended. That's right, yeah. Which makes a huge difference. Like, you... When you construct the film really heavily in post, it becomes a lot less simple to figure out the exact timing of when things happen. Oh, yeah. In terms of character. Of course. Um, Not particularly in terms of character. In terms of character. Mm. Because plot is, like, moments that happen. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, so I, I yeah, so I, that's just my opinion on that thing. Like, absolutely, that is that's the point that sort of goes. Okay, now we know what his objective is. Like, that's mm-hmm. you know, 
and it, it, whether that objective is right or wrong, that no, is yeah, that's 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 his way of snapping himself back into reality, which we can which we will talk into right now. Let's talk about like Lester Burnham. Let's start with the the man himself, Kevin Spacey, the person who um, unfortunately has sullied this film to a certain degree to me. Only like I was saying just before that like the the, the sulliness of of his actions in his personal life do affect me in this film, but I'm always reminded by the brilliance that is uh, every other aspect of this film as well. Even he's like he's a brilliant actor, but I can't help but feel a bit stung and a bit uh, dirty listening to like watching him perform. But I but he's still a great actor. But it's still not yeah. you know. But you just have to yeah. Like I didn't feel that at all watching the film. Like. Okay. Uh, yeah. I got it a little bit. I certainly got it. Like, I love this movie and I, I, I got it a little bit, but I also love so much the other performances in it that it was easy for me to be swept away. Yeah. I guess the way that I do it is like, um, you know, I was watching, I, I can't remember the name of it, but I was watching a film the other day and I didn't know that Louis CK was in it. And, um, uh, it had Brian Cranston in it, and that's why I watched it. It was really fucking good, and it was about an awesome film writer, and I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, he um, and he shows up like fifteen minutes into the film, and yeah, I was yep. like, "Oh fuck off!" Parks and Recreation, and uh, yeah, it's an old one. yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, I know he's in that, right? But like, yeah, yeah. so I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I just sat there in that moment, and I made this decision, which then sort of followed on for this film, where I went watch the character. Yeah. Don't watch the dickhead. Yeah, that's right. And so that's how I felt watching this film. I was watching the character. Like, you can't... You... The whole... That's a whole separate discussion. And It is. And I don't want to... The whole thing is about not hiring dickheads moving forward. Yeah. It's not about erasing them backwards. So he's in the film. He does a great job. That's just a fact. Like... That doesn't mean we need to praise him as a person it just means to say that that the, that he was he was many a talented and incredible person like many a talent in history was attached to a fuckwit yes so uh, yeah yeah and so we'll move past that because not that that makes anything okay obviously and no. the whole discussion of the tortured artist and the flawed artist and blah 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 yeah they can all go fuck themselves now that's kind of the hopefully the point in civilization we've now reached yeah fingers fingers crossed um but i i thought it's always important considering the current climate that it's important we talk about what we we think about it in that respect because i don't want to do that thing where it's like oh i think this film is completely fine because you know i can separate artists from thing it's like no you it you can and i think that's important that you do to a certain degree because a film isn't one person and a film isn't you know, one moment in like a film is like a collaboration between many people and many talented people. Um, so it's important to have that kind of context, but I, I, yeah, I just, I think there's a difference between like ignoring it for the sake of watching a film and forgiving the person and watching the film. To say that like, it's important that it's important we consider these things, but the main reason why both of us and me in particular want to watch this film is not, I don't watch American Beauty because Kevin Spacey did an amazing performance. I watch American Beauty because it's a fantastic film and I can take out the Kevin Spacey that exists in it in my mind and replace it with 
uh, Lester Burnham and amazing actors around them. Yeah, uh, you would have to, as I was saying, like you, you would have to, like, just on my shelf here, I'm sure you'd probably have to take a third of the films off. Yeah. yeah. If you were like, now I'm going to take off all the ones of like that involve a person who did a shitty thing. But I also think there's another element there, and I don't want to get too much into it, but um, I also, I was having a conversation with someone else about this, and it was... There's also a very big difference between someone who's running the show and someone who's... By running the show, I mean directing, writing, yep. uh, maybe lead, you know, whatever it is. Uh, someone running the show and someone playing a part. Because for me, when you see something that Louis C.K. Do, does now, you go, you can't help but connect it with the shit that he does in his show. You go, okay, the stuff that you did in your personal life is very... Like, it has a mirror effect to the stuff that you did on a show, and that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I'm yeah, very aware I, the, of the fact that Kevin Spacey is being directed in this performance, and there are certain nuances that would make it seem like where, where the connections come together and where I actually sit there and cringe a little bit. But generally speaking, I don't... Like, there's not that much in it that makes me go, this is Kevin Spacey. I can like this could be another actor, yeah. Look, Gary for, Oldman for that for that matter, and it would be like a, a, like a brilliant film in itself. Yeah, for me, the issue that I have is that um, for, weirdly, just his common stuff is the only stuff that bothers me. Like I forgot that he was in Baby Driver, and I yeah. watched it like two weeks. That happened to me. I watched actually. it for the first time like two weeks after it all came out. Yeah, because I didn't see it at the cinema, and I sat down and watched it, and I was like, "Ah, oh. oh, fuck you!" Yeah. And I sat there and watched it, and he wasn't in that many scenes, so it was okay. But like that annoyed me. Yeah. Like, yeah. But what I, was the point of the film? Right, the point was was not him. He wasn't what. Why? I, I honestly, I came away from it feeling, man, poor Edgar Wright and all those people, like yeah. who. This is me taking the approach of assuming that no one knew this stuff mm. on that set. Um, it just makes you go, man, I would hate to have that in my filmography. And uh, like, I don't know. I wouldn't want to watch that film again if it was mine. Because <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, I feel like I got, I, I feel like I got duped by this asshole. I feel like not even just duped, but contributed to this asshole. Yeah, I, like, I, 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 yeah. And I, you know, like if I worked with Kevin Spacey, like as a director before that shit came out and I had no idea, I would be like, oh my God, dude, you're so awesome. And this is great. And you're so talented. And let's do this. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I think you'd feel like a fucking idiot. You would. And you'd feel betrayed. You'd feel like, yeah, there would be so many. And then you might start reading into things. Like you might start looking at things and be like, oh God, that time... He, uh, you know, yeah. they did that, the time he did that, and, you know. We're definitely getting off Lester Burnham here. We are, okay. Yeah, no, we t- we covered this quite a lot, and I think that, we, you know, like, we could literally do a two-hour podcast literally just about this. I'd cut a fair amount of that out. I would too, and that's not because it doesn't need to be said, it's not because, it's because it's so... It, it's irrelevant to this film. It's irrelevant to this film other than to acknowledge it. On most it. levels, yeah, for we, the fact that he's in it. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> reason why I watch this film isn't because of him. It's uh, I'm just acknowledging that it, that that's there's a thought there. And it's I can't justify the conversation in 30 minutes. No. I can't make justice of, of what I have oh, to yeah. say about it in, at all in this time. It's too big of an issue to talk about. Um, but just let it be that I love every... Like, all the actors that exist in this, including the way it was shot, the way it was edited, it was such a beautiful film to me. And the Lester Burnham's character is an important one, and it's played by a good actor who is a, a horrible person. And I can't disconnect those two, out. as it turns out. <laughs> um, 
I'm I am also very excited about talking about the rest of these characters. But we will talk about Lester Burnham because he is obviously an important you know, like he's the guiding stone in in this kind of film. He's the you know the the first voiceover we hear, I guess. Um, the protagonist, one might say. One might say the protagonist, uh, and he, to be honest, I actually don't. And this could be sullied because of uh, Kevin Spacey's actions, but I actually don't have that much to say about him because his character is very explained. You you're in his head the whole way. And so we are in him. We, we are the one following his journey. And so he doesn't actually have very much that you have to go like, oh, decode this moment. I need to decode this moment. It's it's actually just like good acting and I, tells the story well. But I think the difference with that character is that everyone's on a journey of what would be the similar tract between them. Realization, right? Mm. Not necessarily change. A bunch yeah. of the characters change, but realization, I think, is the real joining thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Lester, but Lester realizes who he wants to be. Yep. His wife realizes that she's unhappy and that she can do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of similar to. It's Lester. extremely similar to Lester. They're quite in the same boat, but that's like part of the whole point. That's right. Uh, their daughter realizes that she's not ordinary and ugly. Um, her boyfriend, by the end of the film, uh, has a realization that he doesn't have to stay, um, yep. and that he can do something and, and move mm-hmm. and, and leave. Um, uh, cheerleader girl, whose name I forgot. Uh, Angela. Angela has a realization that, um... She has an, and probably one of the more negative spirals, but she also kind of has an awakening at the end of the. Yeah, that she 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 has a. Ah. She's. I find her very interesting. She 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 has a she definitely has a realization. the The part that I find really interesting is that what she seems to realize is that. Um, I what does she what does she say when she's sitting there after she finishes the sandwich? She says something like, "You know, I still feel like a little a little weird, a little weird, yeah. or something like that." Yeah, where she's like realized the way that she's been behaving in the situation. I'm not blaming her for what happened, by the way. Like, I'm just I'm I'm saying like she's realized that the way that she's behaving has led to a scenario that's like not cool. Yeah, yeah, that's um, cool. and not her, not her true self. Yeah, like it's it's something that she desires, but not something that she actually is her. Yes. That being said, though, the fact that she's putting the makeup back on in the bathroom, I don't know. No, well, There's something I... interesting in that. But but and uh, then his dad, uh, the colonel, mm-hmm. um, he has this realization and then lapses, like realization of, I think it might be okay, like. I can go kiss Lester, mm. and then. Well, I I think that like because actually uh, one of the things I noticed while watching this playthrough of it was a lot of the characters kind of mimic each other. Mm-hmm. So you have like um, oh, just uh, Angela and and Karen, or sorry Carolyn, which is um, obviously you know the mum mum. Uh, they have a similar kind of arc in themselves. They kind of have an act that they're putting on. They're very intentionally sh- like putting on an act. Yeah. And that gets kind of broken out of them. In the Angela's kind of moment is the way you described. It's when she's con- finally confronted by that thing that she professes, that image that she's trying to portray for herself. I fuck so many guys and blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, that's and right. All that bullshit. And, and suddenly like... she's like, 
I, I no, I'm I'm a virgin. I don't want to I don't want to give you the wrong impression. And suddenly that completely snaps her kind of character arc. Karen has that moment. Uh, Carolyn has that moment when she's and it's far into the film. She's walking back into the house. She she doesn't actually hear the gunshot, mm. but the gunshot goes off, and she gets in, and she first reaction is. I've I've seen my husband. He's dead. I'm gonna hide this gun, and then she opens a closet, and she just has that like I'm never gonna see him again. He's dead. Yeah. And then she breaks, and I think that's her in the same way that like Angela has that moment as well. Right at the end of the film, she has that same moment where she's just like and and she's just overwhelmed by like you don't know what you got till it's gone. But she does the same thing that Lester does in his own way. She takes an extreme action upon something to, to in, try to influence change. So Lester Burnham's character kind of goes into Angela and is like, you're my goal, you're my thing. He gets to that pinnacle, he gets to that moment, he gets to have it, and then he gets shocked out of it by her saying, oh, this is my first time. He's like, wow, it's just shattered. What what the hell's the point? This goal is useless. This is the whole, my whole idea is, is shattered right now. And it, like she, Lester and Angela have that moment. I mean, to be honest, I guess most characters do with, with, except for, um, uh, I forgot his name, Rick, Ricky, which is, uh, uh, Jane's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's the only one that kind of stays the course. He has that moment of escape. He's like, I can get out of here, but he doesn't have that, that like 180 kind of flip. Cause even Jane has that flip where they're laying in the, uh, like, um, I think it's, is it when they're laying in the bed? Yeah, this is before Lester dies. Uh, they're laying in the bed and, and, sh- and he's like, are you scared? I'm not scared. No, I don't, I don't get scared. She goes, "What? my family are going to try to look for me. And he goes, my family won't. And there's this, there's this moment where even she's like, I'm not similar to him. I, this person I've been looking for, this person I've kind of steered myself towards is actually not who I think. And I'm having my own kind of epiphany in that moment. Uh, it's not that he isn't, I don't think that's the realization. I think that she has, the thing about her is that she knows deep down that her parents do love her and care mm. about her. Yeah, definitely. That's the key difference is that he, he, he knows that he's, and the last thing he says to his mom is make sure you look after dad. Yeah. Because he knows that his dad is going to fall to pieces because he loves him. Oh, I thought you meant Jane. No, J- J- Jane does know deep down that her parents. Yeah, yeah. Care I think they both do. Yeah. They both do. But there's, also there's a moment. different, there's like a different expression of those things. Like mm. he, the Colonel is incapable of it. Connection. He's incapable of connecting in a way that is like of meaning um, because he's not true to who him to who he is mm. but that's true to almost everyone in the film except for ricky he's he doesn't care enough part of me though like watching it again part of me is like is he just so fucking stoned like <laughs> is he just so like i hate having that sort of like her, her, her stoner point of view but like no. is he just like because he's it's not like he's some super mature like no, fucking... but, uh, no but he's broken so my my opinion on that matter, I mean, we, we're going to scrap that whole idea of going character to character. It's so much more interesting doing it this way. Um, he has an he has a moment as a person when he he basically snaps because of his parenting, and he goes to, and he almost kills that guy, and then he gets put into a mental asylum and drugged up for two years. In the story, the story he's telling. 
Yeah, and the story he's telling. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, I like to assume that a story is true. I think it's true. Yeah. And then, but then when he's like, you must hate your parents, Jane says, he's like, no, I, I don't. He's a good man. And that's for me, that it doesn't put him in a like level of maturity, but there's something broken about him. He's actually like, he it, got to the point where it was like, that's it. He snapped. He, uh, the 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 aspect of it that is mature is that he has had the realization that people are who they are mm-hmm. and they will do as they do and he can't change that yeah. and so he, there is a re- reality that he lives in that can't be changed and he will participate in that reality you know that's why when he first gets punched by his dad in the film when he's using the camera mm-hmm. um he he's like, sir, I'm sorry I did this, sir, and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, because he's like, all I have to do is get through this next bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it'll be all right. Yeah, definitely. And that's, he knows that his dad will never change. He, there's, yeah. there's no point in fighting back with him. Yeah. He doesn't want to fight him. He probably used to, but he doesn't, because why why do it? And he's in, in in its own way like the guiding stone in the film. He's the kind of he's a character in the film which kind of has seen is willing to accept and has seen people in a in a deeper context than every other character in the film. So he sees obviously he sees um, Angela the character and he sees through her straight through her. He sees Jane's uh, uniqueness. He sees Lester's kind of uh, playfulness, this kind of funness that he wants to exist. He doesn't actually interact with um, Carolyn, um, but he sees his dad's like stubbornness and his like rigidness in his life. He sees his mum's um, heart and her soul that exists there, and he, you can see he he deeply cares for her and he deeply feels sorry for her in that kind of last moment he has. He he seems to be that perspective. But the thing is, he's also a very passive character. And so he's he's not like, you kind of search for those moments. You don't get told them as much. You kind of got to find them. I think there's so, because he has, you know, all you know about him is that he's saving up money. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You don't know what for. Yep. Yeah. And he seems to be spending a fair amount of it. That's true. So. He's still a boy. He's still 18. He's still young. Yeah. So what's he, like, all that, there's a lot of questions, but. He has a confidence that comes from realizing how to get through things, I think. How mm. to how to survive in order to later be able to live. Yeah. Um, I think that that's what he's in. He's resigned to it and he doesn't care what people think about him. Is, and that's a chief part of his character. You don't behave the way that he does when you care about what people think about you. Yeah, it's true. Um, and he's been through a lot of shit. And I think that, you know, you go one of only a few ways when those things have happened to you. And he seems to have survived relatively well. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, like... It's just that thing of he's. St- it's not like he's responsible or blah 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 no. blah. It's like he's a fucking drug dealer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, um, he is surviving. That's and that's his method. Cause- exactly, which is what basically everyone else in the film is doing. Yeah. Um, you know, 
his mum is basically a walking corpse. Um, his and another thing to factor in here is that he's he's had what uh, a lot of the epiphanies that happened to the other characters in the film. He's had like years and years ago when he snapped and he almost killed a guy and then went and had to suffer the consequences for it. That's that moment he had then, in my opinion, is kind of the moment that everyone's having towards the end of the film. Yeah, I think he's he he's definitely a catalyst. Mm. Like, um, Lester's already sort of on that trajectory, and then when they do weed together, and he sees that you can just quit your job, he's like, "Oh fuck, yeah, okay." Mm-hmm. And then he just realizes, "Yeah, fuck this, I'm gonna do that." Uh, and he's the catalyst for um, the daughter. Oh my god, a uh, Jane. Jane. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a catalyst for Jane. Jane, you know. Dad, you know, he's a catalyst for his dad. That's for he's sure. a catalyst for his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in turn, that means he's kind of the catalyst for everyone. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting that it comes down to his actions that sort of get them all involved with each other. Um, despite the fact he doesn't really do much. Yeah, that's that's kind um, of the super interesting thing about him. He's like a passive glue that seems to connect to all the the dots. That's why he's such a fascinating character, and he's, you know, and that's why it's in my in my mind it's okay that he's very passive, because you know, like he is exactly what he needs to be in this film. That the world around him is already chaotic, and we need to be kind of in his mind. In his like, I guess you know when someone in the horror films when someone runs up a flight of stairs instead of out the back door, and I've used this analogy a lot. You know, where's an audience member going? Why are you going up the stairs? He's kind of. The, he's kind of the audience in that respect and and the way he looks upon everyone is kind of the way that we kind of should. I think uh, the way that the film's edited, I think it's more that he's the place, he's the frame of mind that they want the yeah. audience to reach and the characters to reach because the point is, his point is finding beauty in the ordinary. Mm. That's literally who Jane believes that she is he finds she believes that she is ordinary and he finds beauty in her um the scene on the sofa he gets he's like this is just stuff mm. these are things why do you care more about these than just living and lester and- literally says that's the that's his final lines in the film in the voiceover at the end he's like you know he literally repeats um uh, yeah he says like, the same yeah yeah that's right about it you know yeah, and it's it's that thing of like the whole point of the film is look at the small stuff and just enjoy. Look closer. The, yeah, look closer. The whole film is basically about, you know, um, uh, what's what's that? Mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness, <laughs> perspective. Yeah, it's about slowing down and going, ah, shit, like, wow, those leaves are nice and this and this. Mm. So that's a point that it wants you to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and like... You, it's obvious that there's something wrong with Rick when, like, you know, his girlfriend's dad has just been shot in the head. And, and he's just staring blankly at it in almost an interest. Well, he... Because he no. kind of ducks down and he's looking directly in the eyes of... Like, yeah, but it's Rick. because of what happened to the with the frozen woman that he mentions yeah. earlier. Yeah, it's yeah, that yeah, that's thing right. of he wants to see how she died, how, how he felt when he died. He wanted to check that he was okay. Yeah, right. Like... Not physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, like, gets down and he sees he's smiling and then he mimics the smile a bit. And he's, to me, Uh, Lester is going, oh, it's okay. He died, like, happy. happy." Yeah. So 
Not like that frozen lady. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, that's a really nice perspective on that. That's what that moment is to me. And so he's just making sure that it's okay, despite the fact that it's obviously not okay, but it's like he's he died smiling. So so there's still some beauty here. And mm. there's still like at least before he died, he found it, whatever it may be. Mm. And as we know as the audience, it's um I'm great. Yeah. As uh, such a good moment. I, that moment brings a tear to my eye, like, hard. Yeah, I think it reminds me of, like, you know, um, having experienced a lot of depression and things like that. I remember coming out of, like, a bout of it and being a bit worried by a sensation or an emotion, rather, that I felt. And I was, like, standing there and I uh, uh, was like, what is going on? Uh, I literally said out loud. And I said, oh, I'm happy. <laughs> And it's that thing of like when when uh, those positive things are unfamiliar, mm. you will just go, um, oh, <laughs> yeah. and that's the moment that he's having there. It's like holy shit, I haven't been great since I was in like uni or college. Yeah, um, college. You know, he talks about. I, I love that moment when he says to him like, oh god, that must have sucked about the burger flipping, and he goes. No. He doesn't even look at him. He's yeah. off. He's like a thousand yard stare. He's dreaming just, about it. Yeah, he's just remembering. He's like, no, it was great. All I did was party and get laid. And he thinks, like, I want to do that again. It's exactly what he does. Yeah. yeah. You know, he quits a thing. He's like, I want, his, <laughs> I want the, the least, least amount, amount of, of responsibility, responsibility possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great moment. And, and you're right about that whole idea. Like, um, I'm very fortunate that I'm kind of surrounded by awesome people. Uh, and I get that a lot. I get people, you know, asking if you're okay and asking if you're fine, but there is something really like I, I, it, that moment just resonates so strongly with me. And it's such an intense, like, I love that moment so much where he's, where he gets to notice that he's okay and he gets to see it. It's, you know, like super profound and such good writing, you know, like, and, and a good performance. I hate to say yeah, it's 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 interesting to see that that there that character's arc is basically from being deeply unhappy. If he died at the start of the film, and then like the ghost voiceover would have gone, "I'm fucking annoyed." Yeah, that sucked. Whereas at the end he goes, no. "I thank you know thank God for like every moment of my stupid life." Yeah, yeah like yeah. it's just what a meaningless life I led. Yeah, but um, I realized that there's so much like beauty to behold and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's quite, he's trying to tell the audience to, to, he's trying to tell the audience that before you die, try to feel this, try to get into this state of mind. Yeah. Uh, which is enjoy and, the little things. Yeah. And remember, uh, and not just little things, like really important things. Like, you know, it's like, oh, uh, you know, how's Jane? Oh, she thinks she's in love. And he goes, um, Something good or I forgot what he says. In that he moment. says, um, yeah. That's great. I think it was like, yeah. Yeah. Cause he, cause he, he relishes that. He remembers that kind of, he really is happy because that means that like, it doesn't matter if it's not him. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the really diff, that's one of the differing things between him and, um, Carolyn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the differing things between them. She wants to be the subject, subject of positive, Positivity, like her daughter's positivity, I think. Yeah. She wants to be the like the person that 
anyone is sort of like, oh my God, she's such a great mom. She's such a great wife. Yeah. She's got such a great realtor. Like she wants to be the subject of that. Um, whereas because he's had, you know, his realizations, yeah. his sort of awakening and all that kind of stuff. And as he says earlier in the film, it's like, oh no, she hates me. Um, before he has his realization, but he knows as well. He's like, you know, she says, oh, blah, blah, blah. She, ha- she hates you too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's, it's that thing of acknowledging, like, this is the current state of the relationship I have with my daughter. But I can still take pleasure in the fact that someone else is making her happy. So yeah. I think that that is a... It's a selflessness that exists in that moment. Yeah. Because he, he, she doesn't... He, there's no reason why... Well, they, I mean, I guess Angela could say something, but there's no reason why her friend will go to Jane and be like, hey, this is what your dad said. Like, I mean, ignoring the fact that he dies, like the the fact that he has that experience, he doesn't care that Jane knows that oh, yeah. that that he said that. He's just happy that she's experiencing something, and he's enjoying the fact that 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 she's having a positive moment and like a real moment that that he almost envies as well. So, like, it's a like that's that's a beautiful moment because I think that if you were to give it, if you were if Lester Burnham didn't get shot. And, you know, like, let's just say Carolyn doesn't have a gun in that moment, too. And I think given time, let's just say Lester walks out and disappears. I think Carolyn would have her own kind of breakdown and her own kind of, in a different way. Because you're right, her character is kind of, I don't want people to think that I'm a terrible person. And it, But I do think that at that point, if she would have, if she would have had some kind of shock in her system, like, you know, like a loss of, of a loved one then she would also come around. She would have that, you know, she'd either go one of two ways, I guess, you know, she'd either break down and, and be miserable for the rest of her life or she might have that kind of her own epiphany about life and about, you know, how she wasted it and how she foiled it and how her her kind of ego, because that's that's Lester's tr- journey. Lester's journey is that ego trip that Ca- uh, Carolyn's having in her own way. Mm. He, he, until he realizes that, she, that, the, that Angela's not the prize... And that that whole idea is a facade. Then he doesn't he do, doesn't snap out of that, and he doesn't start having that the the purely selfless moment of of experiencing the beauty and joy of things. It's not until that point. Carolyn was on her way. She had already done the destructive path. She's about to do one of the most destructive paths. But she could have had that moment as well. I think. Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting is that she gets thrown off it through a couple of things like. When he says, um, I want you to be happy. He he means that. Yeah. But then she can't believe that. Because everything that she does is bullshit. Mm -hmm. So how could he be sincere? Yeah. So. And it's motivational as well. She gets, she gets, well, she gets thrown off of her track of finding, like doing the things she wants to do and feeling good. So despite the, the fact that those things are terrible, um, from one point of view, um, from one angle, really. But uh, she, uh, I find it, I find that quite interesting that she gets thrown off the journey towards being happy by her uh, husband, by her misinterpreting her husband genuinely saying, you need to be happy. And then because of what she says back to him, he says, you never get to tell me what to do ever again. Yeah. Because... In my opinion, as he mentions earlier, like about the divorce stuff, it's like, because I will divorce you and I will take half of everything. So yeah. fuck you, because yeah, yeah, you yeah. were unfaithful. 
Um, so that's, I think, what the thing is. And then she's like, great, I'm stuck with this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if she hadn't spoken back to him, I feel like he would have just been like, let's get divorced. Yeah. Go do like, you know, be have with a that great guy. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's sort this. Like, it's fine. Uh, but she can't let go. She has yeah. to like, she even had to lie, like that caught, totally caught, like, you know, uh, kissing around and shit with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With her lover boy. And, um, <laughs> and she's like, oh, we were at a conference or whatever. Yeah. She even tries to make an excuse. Yeah. It's like, just fucking Jesus Own Christ. It. Yeah. Be honest. Mm. But that's the one thing she cannot do. She cannot be real. Yeah. Um, and she's forgotten how to be real. She has forgotten how. And that's why when we were talking earlier and you were like, I feel like that, like, if, if these things didn't happen, like they could have found a way to work and be together and stuff like that. I don't think so. I, 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 I think they're in what I would call like, I think with relationships, obviously this is like just significant, significant. Obviously this is uh subjective. Yeah, of and, course. Um, you're not Dr. Phil. Yeah. Uh, even Dr. Phil would be subjective. Um, <laughs> I think that a lot of relationships, you can end up in what I would call like just a negative groove. And once you're in that groove, there are some relationships that can withstand jumping out of it. And there are others that you've been in that zone for so long that it nothing matters, right? Mm. Um, I don't subscribe to the, um, you know, as long as you love each other, that's enough. Like, no, no. I, I don't believe in love is enough. Um, l like you, you can love each other and it not work. Yeah, of course. So I think that, um, to me, that's the situation that they're in. I think that they deep down love each other at the same time, can't stand each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that their relationship is irreparable. I don't, I don't think that they can repair it because I think that they um, are so far down a path of losing themselves that they won't be able to rejoin. You know, I, I, I mean, I could just be a lot more hopeful than, than your mindset, but that doesn't, I, that doesn't irk me. I, I objectively looking at it, I sit there. I, I don't have a problem with that. Hmm? I, I don't, it's not, to me, that's not, um, I don't say that as a negative thing. I don't interpret that as a negative thing. Hmm. I interpret that as an honest thing. Yeah. I interpret that as, um, it's, it's better to acknowledge these things and continue on with life than it is and do something about it and continue yeah. on with life than it is to, um, than it is to try and fix something that can't be recaptured. Because nothing can be recaptured. Yeah. And that's a kind of like, you're right. I, I, the way I perceive the film is that you're certainly right that this is an irreparable relationship to a certain degree. Mainly, I, I would say less because the reason why I have hope, I guess, is what I should be talking about is that it's, I feel like the relationship is problematic less because of an incompatibility and more because of a, um, and no at very few points in the film do they ever give each other the time of day and that's not something that's i mean that could be something that's personality driven something that can't change 
but that I feel like that's something that can be kind of injected. It can be, it could be, it's forced to begin with. It's intentional to begin with. Um, but I also feel like it's, it, there is, there can be habits to develop on that, you know, where like, cause you see it throughout the whole film, you know, uh, she has problems. He responds, uh, she, uh, she blows up and vice versa. The same thing happens in the opposite direction where, where, you know, he has a problem, she responds and, and then suddenly he's on fire and he's like this. He never, even that scene with the couch, was just a couch. He, if he didn't overreact like that, which he obviously takes back the moment she walks off in, in tears, uh, then they might've had a connection. She's, she was at that point in the film, she's lost. And she was almost, ha she was starting to recapture it. She even has a moment of regret when she becomes a bit too uh, intense and then falls back into her ways. But then the, his reaction to her is what made, the, what made the problem continue. That's the thing is, like, that is the stuff. The f the, so the fact that they cannot have that conversation, mm -hmm. the fact that he can't, say to her, watch me pour red wine or whatever. Like, like, watch me pour beer over this couch. Yeah. And her be like, you're right. I love you. It's cool. Mm. Like, <laughs> we had another couch. Yeah. That's why it can't work. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. I be just Because I... she walks out, like, they have no way of communicating to each other. In that moment, he is doing doing the wrong way, the right thing. He is saying to her, like, we need to change our perspective on life. Um, you need to change your perspective on life. You've become so materialistic that all you care about is the appearance. Mm -hmm. All you care about is how things look to the outside. Like, forget about that. Let's just be real. Let's go back to our roots. Let's go back to the raw, like, rough people that we are and uh, just be happy. There's another perspective on that though. Um, and in my mind, not, and this is not necessarily the right perspective. This is just another perspective on that matter. There's, you're right in the sense that she is quite materialistic, but in that same vein, she's also, she has a much stronger sense of responsibility. She does it the wrong way. And she portrays it in this image, in this like this way that even even most people will look at and be like, oh, I hate people who are like that. She's taken it way too far. But in the same way that he's right about saying this is just a couch, it's just materials, she's right in saying we have to be responsible for the things that are, are valuable. But it's not you're right, I, I totally agree in but the she's sense she's only saying it because she's materialistic. You're right. But she's but throughout the film she also talks about like she says, you, we shouldn't be like, th this is what, like, did you think about what, when you quit your job, do you think about what I need to do to be able to keep this family going? Once again, I'm not saying that she's right in what she's saying, because she's not thinking about the whole perspective. She literally cuts him off and, and to be able to explain himself. But, but her mindset is always geared around not just her image and how people see her, but how are we going to keep this going? We got a, we got a, we got a house. We've got a kid. We've got a, she's, she's very considerate through the film, though... No, I think, I think it's selfishly motivated. The reason why I say that is that I do think that they tip it off quite clearly when uh, whatever his name is, Buddy or whatever, Yeah, yeah. Um, he says, I think in order to be successful... One must betray an image of success at all times. And she totally agrees with that. And 
Well, she's yeah, enamored by it. Not even just agrees, but she's that. That's a mantra that she. She's she's already living that unsuccessfully. Yeah, and that is that's why I disagree. I think in that moment, and again, I'm, this isn't a, like a him versus her or she's mm-hmm, bad mm-hmm. and he's good or something. They're no, both no. they're both rubbish. Um, <laughs> they're both fucked. Yeah. Um, and and I, 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 to me, it's just more like. Um, she has that moment of opening in her like heart of going, okay, let's just, let's just have sex right now. Mm-hmm. If, if they'd had sex on that couch, their marriage could have gotten back on track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I know no. it sounds crazy, but like, that's. That could have been the beginning of a realization for both of them. But the fact of the matter is, she's gone down the path. Like, she's stuck in her groove. She's stuck in the groove that she's in. That's who she is for the rest of her life. If she comes out of that groove, it can't be with him. Cause he's like, you know, once you're in a groove, you're stuck on that. You're stuck in it, right? Mm. And if, if if they diverge, I think that is the thing where they move in opposite directions because converges. Anyway, yeah. um, when when you start from one point and you get into a groove and then you go off in your groove. Tangent, I guess, is probably the word. Well, I say groove because like, you're stuck in it. Oh, no, I'm just saying like they go into a different tangent. Yeah, they, get, they basically the split off, yeah. right? Yeah, but yeah. if you come out of them, you're not going to be next to each other. You're going to be miles apart, you know? If, mm-hmm. if, if, if you put like two train tracks next to each other and start them off and then a hundred miles down the track, turn them three degrees in opposite directions, Eventually. a thousand miles down the track, which is where they are, they're going to be a thousand miles apart. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't. That's some good math there. You can't. Yeah, the math doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah, I know. But but like, but that's the point. Is that they just? I I don't believe they can get back together. And I don't believe that is like uh, romantic pessimism from me. I think that's. <laughs> I, I think that's just like, and and honesty. And in in all like total honesty, like I feel that I've been in, in like you know, certainly a relationship like that in the past where you just have a realization of. I don't think this works. Uh, well, yeah, and I, I, I mean, have you ever? There's a podcast you should listen to. It's um, Esther Perel's, I think her name is. It's called um, "Where Should We Begin," and it's a couples therapist podcast. <laughs> and it's they record actual therapy sessions, like first the, the first therapy sessions, or whether they continue or not, I'm not sure. But um, and it's interesting to see to see the the hope that can come from very dysfunctional situations. Granted, that that the, the the one exception to that rule is every single person that goes there wants this to work. They wants to they want the relationship mm. to work, uh, and that's a fundamental key. That that despite the atrocities that each other have done to each other, or or how like separated or how messed up it's all gone, they both want it to happen, and that's probably the key that hasn't quite gotten there, like. I don't think that the characters getting got there, and to, you know what? To be honest, let's let's play out this idea, because uh, I do I do in generally like think that you're right, but I think that there's a the the perspective to consider that that could be hope, but I do actually think you're right because if you played out the 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 rules and Lester doesn't get shot there, he gets shot by her. She's walking into the house, yeah. with a gun, about to shoot her. Here. But but ta- just taking all that out of the equation, for me, their entire relationship comes back to the bedroom scene where he's masturbating, and then they have the big argument. He then 
rolls over after saying some pretty fucking hurtful things. And smiles. And smiles. Yeah. And then the voiceover says, like, you can't, uh, what is that? Like, you can't, you can't. Sometimes you surprise yourself. Yeah, you can't overestimate the feeling of realizing that you can still surprise yourself. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever. There's nothing that. like the feeling of realizing you can still surprise yourself. Yeah. He's proud of that moment. Yeah, which isn't a proud moment. Their marriage is over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they can't like that's that to me is that scene. It's got nothing to do with sex. It's got nothing to do with any of these things. It's got to do with, uh, it's got nothing to do with love. It's got to do with like this cold practicality of relationships, which is. Are we relevant to each other? Yeah, yeah. And they're not relevant to each other. They're puzzle pieces that are being jammed together by conventions that they're forcing upon themselves. She's forcing them more than he. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that um, I will divorce you so so fast your head will spin. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, I'll come at you On what half. grounds? Yeah. yeah. Like, I supported you this. Yeah, no, it's, it's the wrong tact. And, and then he's that. like, turns over and she's like, she... she when someone says that to you, essentially like, I want to break up, and you basically go, I will fucking destroy you if you do. Good night. How do you feel? Mm. You would feel utterly trapped. Yeah. Like, what he says to her then is so destru- destructive mm. and so cruel and makes her just totally feel like she has no choice but to continue living in this facade. So, that's what I'm saying, like, when they have that conversation later on with the sofa stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's, I'm I'm not saying, as I said before, like I'm not saying one of them's good, one of them's bad. No, no, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm just saying, like, to me in that moment, that you know what I said earlier, that's what I think she's doing there and what he's doing there. Uh, but the fact that they're doing that, I do think, is, you know, that bedroom scene. That bedroom scene to me is just in their relationship. That is the definition of it. And I don't mean in its current state. I just mean, I don't think it's like fixable. And that's why I think what happens, happens. And that's why I think that they're interesting. And that's why I think that it's heartbreaking that, you know, he gets killed after having an awakening and she's about to kill her husband and it takes him being dead for her to realise... For her to have an awakening. Yeah, for her to have an... Like, it's just... It's just a desperately sad scenario where Mm. people... Where you can trace back and you go, my God, if you just weren't bothered... if, If... Beer spilling on a couch didn't bug you. This wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, not to just put the blame on her. No, no, no. That's, yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. not what I'm saying. I'm no, no, no. Saying, no. Like, if you that's what back, she would have been thinking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I just... Uh, yeah. And and for him, it's like you can trace it back. Wow, if I didn't say that I would like financially destroy her if we got divorced, yeah. this wouldn't have happened. If we had instead had a rational conversation and a loving and compassionate conversation. Also, if she hadn't basically like shamed him for doing what he was doing mm. and they'd sort of gone, you know what? Yeah, we're really unhealthy. We should go to a therapist tomorrow. Yeah, that's uh, right. They had that <laughs> conversation. Like, it comes back to that scene for me. So that's what that's why. I think that it's like there's there's just no version of this that like ends you know in not them being apart, but you can divorce and still love and care each other. Um, you know, yeah. mind you, we're giving relationship advice advice to fictional characters, uh, but this it's not relationship advice. It's 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 like an it's a it's a perception of it's an analysis of where I think they are in it and how that influences what happens in the rest of the film. So, like, um, this, you know, a a script that I'm 
working on at the moment, like working with writers. And we have this conversation all the time. It's like, you make deep characters, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're not real. So despite the fact that they're three-dimensional, you give them backstory and you do all this kind of stuff, there still needs to be a thing of shorthands, right? You can't conflate talking the way that we're talking about fictional characters with how I would address this exact same topic with a real person. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because because you can be blatantly irresponsible when talking about the character. It doesn't matter. They're not real. Mm. Um, So that's what I mean. It's like I'm talking about it from a psychological and romantic and, and relationship perspective about fictional people. Uh, so yeah, it's not like, um, it's not like I would apply, um, uh, like, you know, before I did sort of say, I feel like I've experienced sort of similar kind of feelings of like being stuck in a, in a sort of a a certain groove and stuff like that. But, um, that's, I'm lost. No, no, no. I I see what you mean, and I I see how the way that you can kind of connect characters in it. It's like it's a little bit more clinical, a little bit more, um, and also like if the characters were entirely rational human beings, it would also make for a very terrible movie. You know, if they just went, okay, cool. Let's we should talk about this better. Let's talk about it better. All right, let's. let's yeah, it's let's one of my over. favorite conversations about like why did that character do that thing? It's so dumb. It's like because otherwise the film wouldn't keep going. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like because that character in that world hasn't seen zombie films. So I, I think that, like, it's... Uh, they have to act within the restrictions of who they are as a character, yeah, not as a person. Not, not as the writer, who would be able to logically kind of yeah. put this... That's why you together. try to get the characters to the point that they write themselves and do their yeah, things. Yeah. Because you have this character that you flesh out and you create and then you let them go and do what they do. And there will always be a dimension off from a, a completely rational human being. Because if they weren't, yeah. then it, they would just resolve this issue. Film would be very boring. Yeah, yeah. People did things like... You just hope that your script like stands up to the scrutiny of asking, why are they doing this? Mm. And this film makes it very clear. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to bang her. (laughs) Yeah. That's like, that's seriously his point of view. It's like, I want that. That being uh, an underage cheerleader. Yeah. But like, I want her. How do I do that? He finds out how. He puts it into action. Gets what he wants. Realizes it's not what he wants. Yeah. Um, Realizes it's wrong realizes that grabbing your fantasy is not as important as realizes that fantasy is not as beautiful as reality. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Let's step to like, um, cause I really want to talk about Carolyn, but I want to talk about, about her a little bit more in depth. I want to talk about, um, I don't know. The Colonel, I guess is the best way to describe him. Cause he is an amazingly layered character, but he's also something we can get through because he's kind of a little bit separated. He obviously intertwines into the story, but he's a, he very rarely interacts with the main protagonist through the film. And he is... I, I, I have a soft spot for him. He is a force to be reckoned with. He is stubborn. And he has so, such a heart in him that he just feels like he can't... Like, I feel like 
there's a beautiful moment in the film, other than the one that one of your favorite moments, which we'll talk to, we'll get to. There's a beautiful moment in the film where he knocks on the door and the door's locked or whatever. And he says, Ricky, I don't like locked doors in my house. Um, Anyway, and they have that moment and he he turns to his son. He's just like, you know, good night. Yeah. And then he walks off. And I'm like, that like almost brings me to tears. In the same way that that moment where he's he's in the the bedroom after he sees uh, Lester and Ricky having not actually having sex but having sex uh, and he thinks it's happening and he he's not he's not crying because he's so angry he's crying because he's so hurt and he's so he feels like he like everything that matters to him has come crashing in one big kind of heap and he's had this this experience and he can't resolve it without like beating it out of his son which then obviously leads into that next moment because his son abuses that fact abuses the fact that he's homophobic that he has issues with um with homosexuals in general whether that be because he has his own past with homosexuality or whether that be because he's just you know been so not accepting of the thing that he cares about so much that he was willing to destroy it well he's terrified of He's terrified of his own homosexuality. I think so. He has to destroy homosexuality. Like that's the, you have to get rid of it. (laughs) So I think, I think that, I mean, that's one of those great cinematic moments where he's just there with his fists up and he's like, and he's crying and it's like his fists being up and all that he is in his body saying, uh, you know, every fiber of his being is saying to him, don't go, son, don't go, son, don't go, yeah, son. Yeah, don't, don't, this go, can't son. be true. Don't do it, don't, yeah. It's not, no, 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 it's not about this can't be true or any of that sort of stuff. It's got nothing to do with the fact that he's gay or anything like his don't go stuff is like, I love you so much. But if he doesn't get rid of him, then he has to accept his own sexuality. Yeah, I mean, I it's never revealed. Other than, I mean... Kisses him. I know, but part of me goes... He kisses him, but I mean, like, cheating, yes, it's also in the original script. Oh, really? As in yeah. that he was gay? It was in the yeah. original script? Oh, I see, I didn't know that, because I didn't obviously read He, uh... Um, the reason that he hits him for going into his stuff... Mm-hmm is that there's a photo in there of him with uh, one of his army buddies with his top off that he had an affair with when he was younger. Uh... That's why he beats him. So that's cheating because that's like not in the film. No, no. But he is absolutely 100%. Because I always read that moment with the kissing as like the length... I, I also I saw obviously the the that he might be gay moment. I that was obviously my first feelings of the matter. And then when I looked closer, yeah, I I read that moment when he kisses Lester Burnham as like I need I need to know if I just destroyed my son and my connection with him, and if I lost the, one of the most important things in my life, I need to know if that's justified. And then he obviously kisses Lester Burnham and, and realizes that Lester isn't gay, and he's like shit. That wasn't justified. But now that I know that at other end. I actually think it's laid out quite well in the film earlier on anyway. Like when he says um, uh, that horrible stuff about gay people when he's in the car. Yeah. Why they have to shove it in people's faces. Yeah. Why are those F words always? Um, When his son says it back to him, 
These these F words makes me feel sick. Yeah, nay, blah 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 blah. Watch that watch that reaction of his on loop, and he looks at him and he just kind of looks down and he's like, Oh my god, my 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 son actually, yeah, he does hate gays. Uh yeah, that's right, son. That's right. Yeah. He has quite an interesting moment there, and that is totally it reinforces mm-hmm. his closeted self. No, I totally see that. I remember that moment in my head because he does have yeah. that kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay, that you're right. So yeah. I think not cheating. Yeah, 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 not cheating. That is totally there. Yeah, it's it's um, just, the justified. Yeah, the but I mean the the bias I have on top of that, I will say, is that anyone who is like vehemently homophobic, I. I, I just don't... The only rational explanation I can figure out for it is, like, one of two things. is like, you're just fucking a nutcase person. Inconsiderate person. <laughs> you're yeah. just horrible. Yeah. Uh, or you are both horrible and um, are terrified of your own feelings. Yeah. So that's, that's how I've... Anyone that I've met in my life that has been, like, horrendously homophobic, I've always thought, like, I just... It's so irrational to me that that's the only reason I've ever been able to um, to sort of think of um, mm-hmm. that, and that was before I'd ever sort of heard or read of that kind of that theory. Yeah, yeah. Doing air quotations there. Um, that concept of like people who who were terrified of homosexuality might be gay or something like that. But like to to me, that's who that character is. So that was yep. that that uh, I remember watching it from the fir- for the first time, and I w- and I was like, why is he so obsessed with these gay guys? Yeah, why is yeah. he so obsessed with? Why can't he just gay be disgusted stuff? and walk away? He has to. He's thinking. He doesn't just think about it straight after it happens. He has a period of time. He gets into the car. He's driving to school, and then he he's like, oh, those damn. Like, yeah, he's obviously because what I think he's it. really thinking is those guys. Oh man, they were really cute. Yeah, really yeah. and I can't think that. I can't think yeah. that. I can't think that. And and that's like, there's nothing wrong with those thoughts, but no. you've manufactured a life in which that is a problem. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and so th- to me, that's what all that that is. That is that to me is just he's so terrified of his homosexuality that he has to destroy it at all times, and he is so selfish that he is willing to sacrifice his relationship with his son to continue hiding it. Mm-hmm. And murder a person to continue hiding it. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. I kissed a guy who has exhibited no signs of being a piece of shit who would talk about me and betray the fact that I'm gay. But I've built an entire I've built a prison around my homosexuality. I've built a safe and and put my homosexuality into it, and then locked it and then dropped it to the bottom of the ocean of my soul. That person kills to hide their homosexuality, which is what yeah. it does. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, like, that's the, and that's the thing. Like, as you were saying earlier, it's sort of like, I feel like he's doing this to check if it's like that stuff with his son, if that was a rational thing or reasonable thing, and whether it was the right thing. That person doesn't come back and shoot less. Yeah, than. yeah. That person goes home and is like, I've made a huge mistake. Um, there's no reason to shoot Lester. There's reason to shoot yourself. Yeah, right, yeah. But there's no reason to shoot Lester. His entire 
life revolves around hiding his homosexuality. No, I, I, I really... The, great character. Oh, my God, a great character. Alan, Alan Ball writes really good, interesting gay characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really... He, he wrote the... Six Feet Under, I'm pretty sure. All right. If, if I'm so sure that that's why I said that. Um, I'm pretty sure he, he wrote Six Feet Under, and that's got... Um, uh, one of the main characters is, like, closeted, um, and it's beautiful. I really love the... Done. I actually really love the... Um, was it Jim and Jim? His boyfriend. Oh, the two gay guys? Yeah, I actually really like them as characters as well. Like, they, they didn't... They weren't a major player in it, but they were so normal. Like, they were, like, really normal. Like And it's, like, it's great to not be playing the stereotype. The stereotype at the beginning of the film exists, where it's, like, man, he's... Thing is, Jim and his, you know, boyfriend Jim. You know that was a bit like. But when you see them like jogging together, when you see them like give the hamper away, they they're like they. I love how if you were to show me that film, that part of the film, first time, just that scene. Other than the fact that they reveal that they're gay, I might have not even guessed. This is my partner. This is a thing. I might have not even noticed, like, thought about it too much, you know, because they were just so just every, like, it's average. But it's, it's the different careers thing that, and that's, oh, what, yeah, that's, that's what I love about that scene is, so that, good. is that they have the strength to to be who they are. Yeah, that's that, right. And that's what's a great thing about those two characters. The thing that's interesting about those two characters is there's a lot of stuff. Beca- because homosexuality plays such an important role in the film mm-hmm. through, through the colonel, that's why it's really important that uh, Lester go jogging with them because yeah. Lester doesn't give a shit that they're gay. Yeah, that's right. Um, Lester is like, hey, guys, t- give me some jogging tips. Like, teach me how to jog. Mm-hmm. Um, because you jog. Because you jog. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and, and that's his interaction with them is he's like, oh, two guys, they jog. And that's really important because it informs you of what his feelings are when he gets kissed by the colonel. Yeah, because it's like, oh, dude, that's not. I'm not like that. I'm not. I'm not gay. Um, uh, And and we listen to the way he talks. Like Lester Burnham. No, 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 no. No, no. Before that, he's like. He, he, oh, really? It was, yeah. it was obvi- like if he would have had a second thought about the idea that he was about to be kissed by this colonel, he wouldn't have been saying the shit he was saying. He was totally oblivious yeah. to the fact. If that, if like, you don't care about people's sexuality yeah you don't think that those things are happening yeah that's right you yeah. don't think that those words would affect someone else and make them think that you're gay because yeah. you're just like you're not you know yeah not even because you're not really you're not, not okay. yeah you're not thinking about sexuality yeah and that's that beautiful thing of like when he hugs him it's that that sort of that grabbing of his skin yeah, yeah. um around oh, his that was, that's when he oh. first sort of is like oh what's going on well not oh it's like it's i don't think he's oh because yeah. if he's oh at that point, then he wouldn't have kissed. He like, wouldn't have. It wouldn't have, have gone to away. Yeah, yeah he would yeah, be like, yeah. oh, dude. Uh, he's like, okay, this guy like needs help. That's all right. Like, I guess I haven't really super intense like uh, neighbor Neighbor-er. friend now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in that moment, it's like I love how there's like a lot of different steps in emotions in that mm. in that bit. And so uh, that that is pro- that is probably my favorite scene in the film. Yeah, is, is when they kiss because he it's just so tragic it's just it's so sad that there are there's got to be so many people out there in the world who just have had to lie about that part of their themselves i was gonna say their lives but it's themselves that it's like the fact that he can't let everything fall 
the, or even earlier, it's like everything that's happened with his wife and all this kind of stuff. It's like you build all this regimen and you build all this structure and strangle everything. Um, uh, because if you start being honest about your feelings, then you're eventually going to feel all of them. Mm-hmm. So therefore for him, he needs to strangle his genuine feelings uh, lest he at some point feel how he feels towards men. Mm-hmm. So that's, he's so destructive. He is. It's like a freaking cannon that's like the fuse hasn't been lit, but it's all primed and ready to go. Yeah. And the moment he has any interaction, it's like it fires. Like with like the, you know, like now that I know the deeper details with the cabinet being broken into and stuff like that, that's his reaction is so aggressive. It still works in the film. Oh, yeah. Because that's who he is. That's right. He's upset with his son. He's like, you want... And they make it more about the drugs. That's... The way that that cuts makes it about him... Him just being... Protective over his son about the drugs and... Well, I still feel that it's selfish. It's still... It's still about... um, uh, There's... There's... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, from his point of view, I guess so. Well, that's kind of the first moment when his son comes back, when Ricky comes back into the room, it's like, how did you get that money? The answer, the answer the colonel wants to hear is it was drugs. Yeah. That's not obviously what he would have said anyway. It wasn't until Ricky picks up on the fact that it's like, oh, I'm, you know, oh, you think I'm having sex with Lester? And that's like, but but that's the answer the colonel wants to hear. Despite the fact that the drugs would be the worst part of that. That would mean that he's oh, it's so much you know, better than his son being gay. That's right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wait. Yeah. It's so yeah. That's <laughs> I misinterpreted the way you said that. It sounded like you're saying it's it'd be better to be a drug dealer than it would be to be gay. <laughs> I know. I know that's not what you meant, but I, I know, and I think you said it right. But in, in my head, mind. I just like yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's an awesome like it's, to one of my favorite. I mean, all the characters in the movie are like my favorite. I mean, I'd love to talk about just really quickly the the wife, which I've forgotten the name of. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Alison Janney. The actress? The, the, the one, the wife of the colonel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, her. She, I mean, we, once again, there's, we were talking about this before, is that there's obvious, some kind of trauma. There's obviously, yeah. she's such a sad... I think she ca- had a nervous breakdown in yeah. response to her son being sent away for two years to a mental institution. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I think. That's, uh, I think it's probably, I feel like there's something more... Not just with the the son, but I think it's with the with the colonel. I got a feeling. Oh, totally. But from from for me, that what's in that is like the son's gone for two years. What was it like living alone with like this guy. with the guy? Because it's like if you if you live with a closeted homosexual, aggressive, uh, highly aggressive, yeah. uh, domineering man who's very physical. Uh, you would, and you have a son that you love and who's a nice little, nice, but mixed up kid. Um, this is just all me making it up. But to me, that character is like, I can see her in the past, like 
going, okay, my marriage is fucked, but I can pour all of my soul and all of my heart into my son. Mm -hmm. And then her son's taken away first by military college and then by mental institution. And then she's like, you know, that's probably three, four years or whatever. Yeah. (sighs) What happens to that? What happens to that person? Yeah. No, I, I, that's, I think that's a certainly a massive element, but I also wonder if, if there has been, you know, obviously, there's, I mean, there's definitely in my mind been a domestic violence that existed in there. I, I, oh, totally. I think she has probably at some point been literally just beaten into submission. I, yeah. I think that the thing that is so interesting about her versus uh, Carolyn is that Carolyn's life is completely bullshit. The Colonel's life is completely bullshit. But what's interesting is that you can't even dress his wife up to present her they can't go to a dinner party and pretend everything's okay yeah she's ruined yeah that's right um look at her hair yeah uh she doesn't color her hair anymore she is in a nightgown for i think all the scenes that she's in or or very nearly i know that she definitely has that moment where she's like sorry about the mess oh yeah she's wearing normal clothes in that yeah 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 and it's like perfectly tidy and all this sort yeah. of stuff. She's she's on autopilot. That's exactly the word for Why? it. Why? We don't necessarily we don't no. know. But I think that it's the whatever it is, like if she's on drugs or something to like keep her mellow. Uh I don't know. Or she's just been like literally is just like traumatized so and is therefore dead inside. What tips me off on the fact that it's I mean, as much as it got to, I I think you're right that if your son got taken away from you. That you might have that kind of experience, but I think what also tips me off about the kind of abuse in the family and like the in the in the marriage comes from I don't remember how he words it when he's leaving and he says something to the effect of like I'm so sorry. I wish things would have worked out better for you. That's the word. That's the line. Or I wish things would have been better for you. Yeah. yeah, and in my mind, there's like that's not just I was I went away for a while, but you've had a shit life with with this man that I respect, yeah. but is terrible the the two moments that really tell me a lot about that character and this is a testament to Alison jenny's uh brilliant capacity as an, as an as an actor are that that her response to that moment because remember you were like i don't know if she's like she got like some sort of like um in uh, the amnesia or simons or something, or something. Yeah, yeah and the the thing that tips me off to say definitely not is the way that she responds. She's like holding this plate or something. Yeah. And he kisses her goodbye and she shuts her eyes and she knows exactly what's happening. Yeah. That's yeah. not someone who's disconnected from reality for like like medical reasons. She's cherishing that moment. That moment, She's going, that last he's moment. Gone. He's finally gone. Mm. Not in a nice way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other thing that tells me so much about that character and I fucking hate it is... um when they're on the couch watching that thing and she's like huddled off into the corner and leaning right away from her husband and yet he's sitting right next to her yeah yeah but in the center of the couch like he's in the center of the couch he's he it's It's his couch Yeah, yeah absolutely and it's like that's that's all she is now. She's the, and she's a ghost. Like they, they, I love how they've like in that scene, it's like, she's got the white 90 on yeah, and yeah. her hair has all the gray and the white hairs and all that kind of stuff. Um, she's a ghost. Very well done. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's, I just had that thought there. Going, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, if you, if you, if you imagine, if you realized your, your partner was gay and, and you, 
you couldn't break yourself out of the relationship because you were, you know, stuck in your ways or whatever. And you just, you, you know, you'll never get touched that way again. You'll never get held. You'll never, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's just, that just makes me sadder in so many levels. Oh, it's, it's awful. And yeah. then, and then like you have Jane. I think Jane is, um, she's a great she's character. A she's character. a pretty typical teenager. Which is what they say. She's, she's the kind of girls that I used to like enjoy hanging out with in high school. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. Um, she, Real people, people like, yeah, I mean, she's, she's a little <laughs> bit more, uh, goes on, she's a follower. But she certainly is a real person, and you can see that in the way that she behaves. She, she, she's she's a follower for lack of anyone like worth pursuing. I don't even mean that in like a boyfriend. I mean like not pursuing, but I like, mean like she's a follower, like because she doesn't have any. She's a follower because she stupidly attached herself to like someone who is. She's a follower because she lives in her mother's household, and her mother is really physically appropriate mm-hmm. uh, from Jane's point of view. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's what a woman looks like, you know. Yeah. She's, uh, uh, you know. She's in control. Like, we're talking about uh, Jane's mom. She's in control and she's there. Yeah. I Like, they're very, what I like about the film is, like, they're very physically different shapes. Mm-hmm. Right? She She's not physically shaped like her mom at all. Mm-hmm. And um, that must have an effect on her. She clearly t- totally. has massive issues. I mean, you see, she's looking. I think her first scene is she's looking at breast augmentation. That's like right. Proper actual scene, not like pro dog stuff. Um, she's looking at breast augmentation that she's been saving up for. Like, what the fuck? She's like yeah. 16 years old. That's the shit she's thinking about. I mean, which that's is normal. Yeah, like, I was going to say, like, that's like, not a fucking coach, hell. It's and, scary to think. Oh, totally. Yeah. But like, and, 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 and you just sort of think, like, so she's attached herself to this person who is like in in, in quotation marks perfect mm-hmm. and super beautiful. And there's that great moment, you know, when she says, um, where Angela's like, um, you know, there's nothing worse in life than being ordinary. It's like that's exactly how um how Jane feels. She's like, mm. I'm just so ordinary and boring and yeah, yeah. not interesting. And so that's why she's attached herself. herself to someone who is yeah. not those things. Whereas, like, those two girls that they have that thing with earlier on, she's like, fuck you, stop being so fucking full of shit and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Like, she would get along with those two girls way more. Yeah, that's right. She, she, that's the, that's the group she's meant to be in. She's meant to be with those girls looking at, like, the cheerleader girls going like, what the fuck are those bitches doing? Like, yeah, that's the yeah. group that she's meant to be in. She's meant to be in the sarcastic comments group, not in the, uh... Not, not, not. Look at me. Look at me. Not a cheerleader. Like that's what's so interesting is that that's what's so interesting about that character is she's so well crafted in that she's not like when you look at it from like the brutal sort of like high school perspective. Like she shouldn't be a cheerleader. Yeah. You know she's not perfect enough. Um, And yet she's not driven enough to that as well. But she is. She learned those dance moves and she'd been practicing them at home. Uh... Like. This is the stuff yeah. is like she's trying so hard and yet she has that makeup and hairstyle and clothing style that betrays th- that. She hopes that she'll save up, get breast augmentation and she'll be that person. Mm-hmm. That's what she wants. That's her yeah. objective. So, um, so she in her own way, I know this is going to be, I might be stretching a little bit, but she in her own way is not letting go of her own image and her own ideals. Um 
unlike the colonel would be the in the same way that he's not letting go of his own kind of like identity and his own sexual preference no the difference is she hasn't found it yet that's the difference true she's she finds that in ricky yeah yeah like, and and I think and I think that she doesn't know like that and that's actually another one of my favorite moments in the film I'll get to in a sec. But um she has like she wears all these frumpy clothes because that hides her figure mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And then that fundamentally changes where it's, you know, obviously after she slept with Ricky and he's filming her and they're talking about money and she's she's like, Oh, I save saving up for breast augmentation, but you know now or whatever she says she says something she she says half a sentence yeah yeah and then she sort of bobs up and down while he films her boobs yeah uh and she starts to be more comfortable with who she is at that you don't do yeah you don't do that if you haven't gone like someone's attracted to me yeah. like i didn't know that this is okay to be yeah yeah i didn't know that this could be attractive yeah. um now that's after her like huge moment enormous moment at the window of taking her bra off like that is just enormous one of her biggest insecurities she shows there yeah like uh, you know that's more than being naked and I think that that's um, those two moments combined Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like she takes the leap Mm -hmm. by taking off her bra and then the reward for that comes in that she can start to discovering herself like what who she really is that i mean that's the moment of trust that's the moment it's a moment of trust and discovery when she takes off a bra and then when she's after she's slept with him when she like bounces her boobs up and down and he films it that to me is the reward moment that's the i took the leap and now i actually feel like myself i don't need to change who i am now yeah yeah of course and then the next time that she talks about fear, because her fear is one thing, and after that point, her fear is different. Mm-hmm. Her fear after, you know, the next fear that she has is basically, oh, we're running away and I'm scared. Yeah. But she doesn't, you know, in between those moments, she's not scared. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's, she's a really, really fantastic character and very, very well um, performed. Performed and she's very likable. Considering her kind of demeanor... She actually comes across as a very likable character because at that point, the the point that I started to really enjoy her as a character was the point where, where she decides to go for a walk with Ricky. Yeah, and and she defies Angela. She's like, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna go for a walk," and this is like, this is her stepping away. I'm like, "Yeah, you tell her, you tell her that it's not okay." Like, don't follow. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, and I think that that's uh, that's that's a point of me with me where I was like, you, I. I think you find her out who she is in two moments. It's she's in the car and she says Angela's said that being ordinary is the worst and yeah. you realize it's all of her insecurities in that moment. Aside from the breast augmentation thing cuz that's the start of the film you don't really know who the character is yet. Yeah. She and, is a typical teenager yeah, in that moment. Yeah, maybe she's just an insecure teenager. Yeah, so yeah. teenager. Uh, and then you find out, oh my God, no, that's like a deep thing for her. And then when she's walking to the house she like flips him off and says like, you know, creep or whatever yeah yeah Filmia. and then she goes inside and then she like turns off the light checks if he's still there turns around and smiles yeah so her entire thing is around the idea that her self-worth is tied to being attractive mm-hmm. um and 
she's let's like, not say let's say be be more clear on that because it's not just attractive but be physically attractive. Yeah, and she is fortunate enough that she ends up falling for someone who falls for her, uh, who isn't being shallow and manipulative and mm. taking advantage of her. It's someone who's um, seeing her for who she is and genuinely wants to be with her. Yeah. Um, you don't run away and take that girl with you if you don't care about her a lot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so I think that's the thing is that she goes out looking for the wrong thing and in a different film, like, he could be some asshole who doesn't give a shit and just wants to sleep with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead but- of finding that, she finds um, genuine connection. Yeah. So that switches over and then Ricky cements that with, um, but you are ugly, (laughs) you know, saying that to Angela. Yeah. Like, just so you know, Jane, that's what an ugly person looks like because it's not about who, what she looks like. Uh, It's about who she is on the inside. Yeah. Um, And that's a cruel but honest thing to say. But it's also like, I would also like to put the argument out there that it's, I don't think it's just about who she's on the inside. I think he also enjoys her on the outside as well. Like he appreciates the beauty of her as a whole. Oh no, totally. Yeah. Just so, just yeah, to be yeah, clear, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he agrees that she's no, not attractive not... and that, that the other person is, but she's ugly on the inside. I think th- th- it's an example of an ugly person. And, and an unattractive person. Probably the best way to describe that is that Angela to Ricky is an unattractive person. Uh, 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 Ricky to Jane, or sorry, uh, Jane to Ricky is an attractive person in its entirety. Yeah. Inside and out. Yeah. Good talk. Yeah. All right, bye. Um, no, I mean, like, there's, so, there's obviously, like, I can, I can easily do another two hours of this, but I'm not going to because, you know, I've got to edit this. I bet I have messages. I bet you do. Um, but I, I feel like we've missed something. Nah. No, we have. But we've kind of covered it throughout the thing. We, oh, what? Like there was a cinematographer or a score or like uh, editing? Oh, or there, and I've got stuff to A say writer or <laughs> I mean, a director? But, no, because we didn't really talk about Carolyn specifically. We, I think we talked about her a shitload. Yeah, but I, I want to talk about one scene with her and properly because we, di- we dived into it, but I want to like flesh it out because it's my favorite scene in the film. And it's the, it's the montage that we, we dipped into a little bit, and that's the one where she's selling the house. Because... With Harold? Yeah, with Harold. Yeah, that's right. Um, for me, I, just to, like the importance of that moment, that's, that montage is... I, I, it's, it's a testament of a brilliant actress. It's a testament of uh, a fantastically written scene. And it's... But I love that she steps in she, that line she says at the beginning, I will sell this house today. She's read that. Yeah. She's, this is a power speech. This is a broken person that hasn't sold this house and hasn't sold yeah. it for many times. I will not be a victim. That's right. She's <laughs> she, she tries to control herself and try to kind of bring herself to this rather than kind of letting go. Again, that comes down to superficiality, looking to the external to solve the internal. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and then her actions. Everything she does in that at the beginning of that is determined. Like, even when she's wiping the windows, it's, strike, windows, clean that. Like, getting ready. Like, it's and arranging this. It's everything is, it's so, there's so much motivation and determination in that. And creating uh, a superficial world in which there is success. That's right. And then she has. There's her, a lot of, like, very careful crafting 
in that scene. There is. And there is. And the, for me, where she first kind of breaks, where she starts to waver, is that lagoon scene yeah, with yeah. the pool. It's like, what? These aren't plants? Are these yeah. not plants? And you're like, oh. And then she brings it back again. You see her straight after that. She's like, oh, I can. I, I've got a lens. I have tiki torches. Yeah, yeah. And she comes back in. And then she has that moment which is one of my favorite moments in the film because let alone you could have just had that moment where she cries and she walks off camera. She doesn't just cry and walk off camera. She cries and slaps herself and tells herself you're off. You're, you're weak. weak. You're baby. Oh my God. It's such a, it, it makes me so sad. And like, it, it like brings a tear to and, my and And again, like that. Temp- so if you put that in parallel with the um, closeted homosexuality of the Colonel, mm-hmm. it's that thing of, when you see that in yourself, you punish it far more in others. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's what she would. So it's like, you're weak, you're weak, you're weak. That's what she does to herself when she sees weakness. That's why she treats her husband and child that way. Yeah, particularly her husband. Yeah, no, that's she sees really, weakness, that's and and so she punishes that. it. That's and a, that's that. That's an interesting parallel. I think that is a really that's a really nice point to make there. Another point that I like about that moment though is that, and I know that this is an obvious moment, but I love the patience in which she closes those blinds. She closes the door, and she closes the blinds, and it's just like, she almost finds the string, and then kind of like, bam, and then she's gone. Like, there's a there's a whole silence, and there's that, that whole, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together, boom. It's so, oh man, that's like... I remember listening to the behind the scenes of that moment and it's just, it's, it's like one thing. That, and she was like, it was super easy. I just, yeah. Yeah, I just smelt some onions and after like I just cut them up and then I just went and did the scene. It, when I was watching that scene, I was like, I really thought like, God, I hope that was a closed set. Yeah, me too. I just, I look at a moment like that and I, and God, that's such a fucking difficult, vulnerable moment. Um, uh, just... Turning, a, turning around and going from normal, like, you know, sort of, and I'm calm and now I'm crying. Like, what did she work herself into before doing those takes? Yeah. Fucking complicated. Oh, yeah. Um, my favorite ever example of that is in um, Captain, that I can really often think of on top of my head is, yeah, Tom Hanks and Captain Phillips, where there's, there's this scene where he gets, like, taken into... You know, he gets kidnapped by Somalian pirates. I haven't seen this. Rescue though. him. Terrible human yeah. beings. But anyway, no, it's, it's, you can say it though. It's like, not the best film in the universe, but like it's worth watching for his performance. Like it's mm-hmm. so fucking good. Yeah. So he goes through all this horrible experience and then it's a true story. And what ended up happening was he was on like a lifeboat with um these Somali pirates who had guns. And then these Navy SEALs lay down on these barges uh, being towed from the back of a ship waited for the waves to be right and then shot all of them, the Somali pirates in the head. And he got like covered in blood and brain and stuff like that. And, um, they rescued him and he was like, Oh my God, like, great. This is so so happy to be alive and stuff. But then they take him into, um, like a medic bay and they filmed it with like real medics and stuff because it's uh, Paul uh, I'm pretty sure it's Paul Greengrass the guy that made like the Bourne movies and stuff like that and he's got quite interesting ways of working with stuff particularly if you watch his film United 93 and um, he has the interesting ideas so he was like oh I know I'll get like actual Navy staff to like be with Tom Hanks so that they just treat him as they would so he goes in but like in that role he has to be in shock and he gets in and he just 
has a fucking breakdown. It's an amazing scene. So you see him going from sort of like walking into the room and then he's just like blubbering and like crying and his voice is breaking and all this stuff. And you're just like, how the fuck did you do that? Yeah. What did you do? What work did you do before that was rolling? Like, I, I don't, I don't, I'll never understand how they do it. Yeah. Not, not on a true level. Like I understand techniques. I can understand things like that. Yeah. Like to be so exposed. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's like, to me per- personally, like that scene is so confronting compared to something like, you know, Kevin Spacey, um, uh, doing weights naked. Yeah, yeah. Oh, from yeah. an acting perspective. Yeah, like that to me. That to me is like just so confronting an idea from performance. It's like you're going to be in the center of a big room all by yourself. We'll have lights on you. We'll have cameras, and you know I'll be here and blah 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 blah. I just really hope that like the whole crew was like off in video village. Yeah, like, I really hope so because I I hate the idea of that scene being shot with like. Her facing the camera with like forty fucking people in the yeah. back of the room. I just hope it was like sound camera and director. The one That'd thing nice. that when I think of that scene, I and in the context of the way you describe it, is like how I think of the same thing when someone, and not because I feel like I've heard this before and some kind of thing that is that the difference between a, acting good drunk and not acting good drunk is that when you're drunk and you don't want to be, then you act like you. You're trying to resist the the instincts that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you are. It's, it's like that Michael Caine thing. He always says, like, if you want to cry in a film, try not to cry. Yeah, and that's what I feel like. Yeah. Th- that's that moment for me. Yeah. Where she was holding it, holding it, holding it, holding it, and then, like, yeah, bam. But the thing is, you have to have worked yourself into the emotional tension right? point right? for that break to happen. Yeah, yeah. Even if Michael Caine says, like, you know... um, if you want to cry in a film, try not to cry. He still has to have worked himself up to a point of tension and being upset that he can try not to cry and cry because he's trying not to cry. Mm. Like, what a like what an exhausting scene. Yeah, that would be such an in- interesting scene to ask her about. I I'm, I can't remember what the behind the scenes was, but I feel like there that there was a bit of surprise to it. Oh no! It was that the director. They didn't know she'd slap herself and stuff. I'm not sure if that they were aware of that, but I also know that the whole crew were like, like no one can see my face, but like stunned, like like they they they, they it was as silent as it sounded. Yeah, you know, like oh my shit, <laughs> like, uh, and I feel like that was the kind of moment. That... that moment where you go, this is why you are in it, Benning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I feel <laughs> and like... that's it. There's a beautiful moment in. Um... Paul Thomas Anderson was being interviewed by Mark Maron. Okay. Um, I think he's done that twice, actually. But anyway, uh, and he was talking about his most recent film. Mm-hmm. Um, my God, that's terrible. The name of which has just escaped me. But basically, um, Daniel Day-Lewis is in it, and he's a fashion designer and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And, um, you know, Mark Maron is like, what was it like working with him? Or, again, you know, what's it like working with him? And he said... There's a scene in the film where Danny Day-Lewis is working. And it's a, in a bit of a sort of a montage sequence. Um, Danny Day-Lewis is working and then his lover, Muse, current Muse, walks in and offers him tea. Does something nice for him. Because um, she's desperately in love with him. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, does something nice for him and comes in and he's like, no, go away. And she you know, makes a big point of it. And, and uh, in the script, it's no. And he's annoyed. Like, that's basically what it is. And then she's like, I'm sorry. All right. And leaves. But the way it played out, because uh, I did it from, I think, one camera angle. Um, the way it played out was she brings in the tea. He's like, no, I didn't ask for tea. She's like, I just thought I'd, you know, do something nice. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'll leave you alone. And he says, well, you'll be gone, but the disturbance will remain with me. <laughs> and he's like, that's what you get when you hire Daniel Day-Lewis is that that's not in the script. And he was that character in that moment. And that's what that character would have said. Mm. That's what that character did say. Because that's how that character felt. Yeah. And it's that's exactly that thing. I, th- I feel that's the same thing. It's like if, if there was spontaneity in what she did there in front of those curtains, then and that's, that's her. That, that's, that's why you look at it and go, that's good casting. Like mm. that's the person who, sh- who should be standing in front of those, those uh, blinds. Yeah. Um, and yeah, her, her performance in that is a powerhouse. Her performance in that, to me, is probably, like, in terms of favourites, because mm-hmm. I was about to express that very poorly, as in, like, you know, best no. second. But the, yeah, you can't. Um, you can't do that with anything. No, <laughs> no performance. But um, uh, for me, Jane would be my favourite, um, or most interesting, I suppose. Uh, and then her i don't say those two could actually swap around back and forth like kevin spacey's performance is amazing but their the reason that annette benning's performance is so interesting is that she doesn't undergo the full change or the full Mm. cracking the full breaking she is tormented the whole way so um she doesn't get the happiness yeah uh and that makes the performance to me a lot more difficult and a lot more intricate mm-hmm. so yeah i'd say that's why um i'd say yeah actually no i think about it yeah i would actually say annette's bennings would be my favorite because I, I think she does get kind of she gets some kind of reward but it's but it ends up being poisoned uh she i would say that originally when i first watched the film she wasn't my favorite performance because i saw it very superficially like she was kind of the enemy and then as I actually yeah. aged and became a mature person, I realized all the subtleties and all the details and all the, like, what made, in my mind, her one of the best and and one of the most interesting. I'd also find, like, ah, yeah. I, well, that's, I mean, that's one of the things. It's like, um, I've seen Jurassic Park a gazillion times. It wasn't until I'd seen it in my late 20s. Right, because I'd kind of like watched it on autopilot yeah. most times, but from when I was a kid, it's like you know the lawyer in it. Yeah, yeah. The guy that gets yeah. eaten and ripped apart by a T Rex and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's that moment where you're kind of like, oh fuck, yeah, fuck you, lawyer, like yeah, that kind right. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then I watched it one time, and I'm like, what the fuck did he do? Yeah, he did his right. job. Yeah, he's he's just being a lawyer. He's yeah. not an evil person. No. And it's that thing of like when you're a kid, you just go, oh, he's telling the nice dinosaur liking people that they can't do that. And he says he all he cares about is money. Yeah. All he cares about is money. And that's not good. People that's should care about dinosaurs. Hey, they to do. To care and about he's money. He's doing his job, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. the same thing. It's like yeah, it's as, as a young person, you just say, you, you, you automatically, uh, you know, identify as a 
young man in particular, yeah, yeah, you automatically identify with the male role, and then you just sort of go, "Hey, the dude's trying to do his dude stuff yeah. and be himself and That's discover right. himself." And you, lady woman, just getting in his you way. Get, You're just not even yeah, listening. You do see that. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. you watch things that way because, like, young boys are fucking stupid. So, the, uh, yeah, I can totally understand that. It's it's that thing of you open yourself up to the empathy and the compassion and the understanding of who she is and where she's going. Doesn't mean you condone anything she does. Doesn't mean you like her. It means that, like, you just can find connection with her and understand what she's doing and see her as a human. Mm-hmm. as a character so yeah yeah anyway that's a great 180 for me from like um, <laughs> literally hating this film to uh yeah uh i really like it I, I i like it a lot it's um i find it very funny like i think it's a yeah. really funny film it's it's to me it's very like dark satire like mm-hmm. it's it's just it's a very funny analysis of like how fucked up suburban life can be because you the entire thing is like create this normality yeah and then live within it and if anyone goes outside it you're a weirdo yeah, yeah. um and it's like no we'll be weirdos together it's like everyone's weird just shut up and be normal yeah yeah be yourself no, normal is be yourself yeah <laughs> like <laughs> that's what it should be but it's not yeah no yeah i'm i'm happy because it's it's I remember a long time ago when I, uh, it was someone I was going out with at the time, um, years and years ago, and she was like, uh, she was talking about what our favorite movies were, you know, early on. And she said, she said, uh, Shawshank Redemption. No, she said, I said the American Beauty and she said, I don't like that movie because everyone likes that movie. Oh yeah. And that, and it. There was probably an element of that when I was young too. Like, yeah, probably. Probably. I don't know, but I think so. Contrariness. And that made me feel really upset because I don't mind people not liking films. I just don't like it for reasons where there's no like, I don't like the movie because it wasn't a good movie. Oh yeah. It didn't resonate with yeah. me or whatever. And so. Like, so one of my favorite things um, was like uh, someone I saw a long time ago, like on Facebook had written like, some shit about the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek thing. And then someone had commented on it. Maybe it was, I don't know, it was on Twitter. That's right. Uh, and and this, like, uh, someone who knew them had commented, like, oh, so is the criteria for a bad movie it, for you, like, if it's just over this level of popularity? Yeah. Like, it's automatically, like, oh, everyone loves it, so I'm gonna hate it! Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, all these people seem to like Star Wars still. Um, yeah. But the... <laughs> It's like, I still love Empire Strikes Back. It's like, everyone does. Yeah. Um, yeah, to- totally. But. And it's good. It's, so it's great that, like, I mean, I, I challenge myself every, like, I don't have a set period of time, but every now and again, I, I look at the things that I don't like and I try to revisit them. And, oh, yeah. I, yeah. American Beauty was one of the rare, f- American Beauty and Bray, Blade Runner are the two, like, rarities of my films that I hate. Yeah. No, uh, sorry. But- not hate. Don't like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that I didn't watch them on loop to try and figure it out. Yeah. Um, so Blade Runner next. No, I know, <laughs> I, I know, I hate Blade Runner. But it's, then you I said it before. Good. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Like, yeah, it yeah. makes me feel deeply depressed and shitty. Mm-hmm. And like, as life goes on, it's more like me going. That's probably what the future will be like. Yeah. So, yeah. so I hate that. I hate that. I hate that feeling. Whereas with this, it was like uh, turned out to be like just petty, immature, like shit. Why? Why I hated it. It's still, you know, not. I wouldn't call it 
immature. Oh, yeah, no, probably. It was definitely immature. Yeah, yeah, you can say that. Because I hated it because I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. You didn't look closer. I didn't look closer. Cool. Well, I mean, I obviously love this movie, so there's nothing need to be said about that. Uh, and there's also more elements we can talk about, but but I don't think that... Yeah, like should. the part where, like, Bubba gets, like, um, uh, shot and Forrest is like, oh, my God, Bubba. Yeah, that was such a sad movie. Um, I mean, bit of the movie. It was so And depressing. then, uh, yeah, like... And uh, when they land, when they, like, you know, run at, realize that their oxygen tank in the spaceship gets busted, and that causes, like, a chain reaction, and, that, and they realize they're running low on oxygen... Yeah, that's that almost was... as good as the part when he like realizes that being the favorite toy is not necessarily the most important thing, but that friendship is also important and that there's yeah. a connection that you can have with yeah. people. Um, those three moments we just missed out the opportunity to talk about, but we'll do that on another podcast. We'll be like American Beauty Part Two. Yeah, you know the the. It's funny how how much we revolved around Tom Hanks and that. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, thank you very much for potting. And yeah, I guess you better get casting. Uh, Bye. Oh, that was terrible.